everyone. Welcome back. My name is Tiffany. This is a They Didn't Tell You podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Legally Black and the podcast at They Didn't Tell You Zero. We're here for episode number 10 and I'm patting myself on the back because I am so proud of myself. I do this entire thing by myself, recording and editing, and I've learned a lot. (laughs) I've learned a lot. And I'm super excited to be in the double digits now with my episodes, and I just feel like upward and onward. So episode number 10, they didn't tell you about the value of Black lives. I recognize that talking about the issues that we have, that the black our Black community is currently experiencing, some that have been ongoing for countless years and, and don't seem to show any signs of slowing down. It's just been, it's very taxing at times. I know it can be for myself to talk about these things. So I'm not going to harp too, too much on it. I, I definitely want to cover a few things that have happened happened to me in my life. They're, they're minor situations, but there are, when I took a step back to think about where it all started and where I kind of first felt like someone made me feel bad about being black or made me feel like uh, my black wasn't beautiful enough or I wasn't enough. And I realized like, damn, I have a, a, a memory from when I was a kid. I have a couple memories from high school and I'm just like, damn, you know, here we are kids in this world trying to figure life out and we're being met with adversities that we honestly fully couldn't comprehend at that time. And I think now I still struggle with comprehending the nonsense that is this world that we're living in. So I want to get right into it. So I wanted to go back down in the memory bank, but also remembering and keeping in mind that revisiting trauma, revisiting situations that have affected me negatively in my life doesn't always make me feel the best, but it's a conversation I really, I've been wanting to have since I thought of creating my podcast. I just didn't know when I was going to do it. And so now's the time, right? So I can remember back in my childhood, and this might seem very minor to many people, but Keep in mind, context purposes, I was a child when this happened. And when I say a child, I'm talking like, definitely wasn't even in fifth grade, probably like third or fourth. And I was attending a public school and there was this security guard there. He was always fairly nice to me, never had any issues with him. He definitely, now that I think about it, was giving me Steve Harvey vibes because he was brown skin like Steve Harvey, bald head, uh, had a mustache, just... And it had a very chill voice. And it was kind of like, you know, them cool older black guys. Like, you just like, oh, he just seems so chill. One day, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I was being mean. I don't know if I was just, I don't know what I was doing. But this grown ass man, and thinking back then, he might have been in his 50s because he definitely wasn't in his 20s or 30s. He was definitely an older gentleman. He looked at me and said, you're just mad because your sister's prettier than you. Now, my reaction to it, I, I could remember feeling a bit shocked by it because I was kind of like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> it is not to say like I personally was like, 
hating on my sister, but you know, this is how people put siblings against one another when they're kids. First of all, why would an adult even say this to a child? I have no idea. But I remember thinking, okay, so number one, shout out to this man for telling me my sister was prettier than me because my sister is much darker, has a darker skin tone than I do. And so anybody celebrating that, you know, here in 2019, I'm all for it. But as a kid in the nineties, I'm like, I don't, I'm just trying to understand why you're saying this to me. And then trying to understand how that made me feel as a kid. Right. When you tell kids things like that, I, I, at that point, that's when I felt like, okay, then I must be ugly. And so there's a certain level a value that is added to your life or to my lifestyle or how I'm going to go about life if I'm prettier and if someone is pretty. And I mean, that was clear because, you know, in school at that time, growing up, you start realizing, okay, this this, there's a difference in how people are treated when they're cute and pretty and when they, when the world doesn't view them as such, like you're definitely treated differently. And so early on, I started figuring out what black people were valued more than others just based off of looks alone. But an adult, sorry for the pause. I had to think about it again. Like an adult really had the audacity to come out of his face and say those words to me. And it stayed with me, obviously, all this time, well over 20 years. It is it has stayed with me and it's a memory that way it may not have to be vivid, but it's still present in my mind. I even think about this Black History Month program that took place at my high school. I went to a Catholic high school. And folks, if anybody went to high school with here's this, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe that we, the students, were the ones who coordinated and planned this entire Black History Month assembly program. Program because I don't think the school was planning anything. Um, I'm not even sure who our advisor was. It might have been the only black person or black woman there. I think she was a counselor at the time. So it might have been her that supervised us and, and kind of let us do our own thing. But as far as I can remember, this was kind of like the black kids initiative and we were going to figure it out. And from what I remember, we did the damn thing. Okay. I ended up reading a poem by Maya Angelo and it was the poem Still I Rise. It's a long poem. It's one that's meant to be read with conviction. I can even remember some of the girls I was in school with at the time telling me, listening to me, listening to me practice because everyone knew I was pretty shy. So for me to come out and do this in front of a bunch of people, I knew that I would have to put on a face and, and, and build up my confidence. So they would listen to me read the poem, give me feedback, tell me no, I need to start over, or basically tell me you need to go home and practice. Because this is not a poem that you can just sit here and just read off the paper. You have to give the poem life. And so I read the poem to the best of my ability I try as, as a 16, 17-year-old could at the time. And during that assembly, these two white boys, unbeknownst to them, were sitting directly behind my mother. And as I'm reading the poem with every ounce of confidence I have in me, these motherfuckers took it upon themselves to say, oh, she's, she's so ghetto. Look at her. Look at how she's talking. She she got to be from the hood. And, and, and basically calling me a ghetto ass bitch. Now, 
Even if I identified myself as such, I would wear it as a badge of honor, number one. But number two, coming from the mouths of two white men who probably have never been in anybody's hood or anyone's ghetto, I took, like, I, I couldn't believe it. And, and therefore, my mother couldn't believe it. And so she turned around and informed them of two things. One, that's how the poem should be read. And number two, I'm her daughter. And basically what you're saying is disrespectful and ignorant. She calls some administrators over. They claimed, they, they took them out the assembly for the rest of it, but they claimed that they were going to have a conversation with them and X, Y, and Z, all this stuff was going to happen. What's so weird is that I didn't even realize that one of them was in my class with me. And after that moment, once I peeped who he was, I swear he was used to always give me like this, this weird smirk or look of like, yeah, all right, you thought that I was gonna get in trouble, but I'm still the ignorant racist person that was at that assembly a couple days ago. And like your mother's word didn't do nothing. Like I got all that from that look. And if you're a person of color and you found yourself on the opposite end of some bullshit with someone who you know is ignorant and racist and they happen to be white and male, you know what you can pull from those looks. Something else that happened that day and that incident with those two guys, I had no idea that happened. My mom kept that from me until that night. So I'm thinking everything went great. I'm feeling proud. Right after the assembly, my English teacher approached me and complimented me on the poem and on my reading of the poem. And then she had the nerve. And I want y'all to hear me clearly. She asked me if I wrote the fucking poem. I... I stood back and scratched my head and was like, wait, are you really asking me if I wrote this poem like me, myself, and I? Like, sis, I'm in, I'm in your English class. When have you ever known me to write a poem of that caliber? I, I was baffled. And so I told her, I said, no, I didn't write it. I told her, told her who the poet was and what it was called. And I also noted that that information was found in the program. So sis didn't even open a program up to even realize that she was about to make a fool of herself. And when I told her, when I looked at her, like the poem was written by Maya Angelou. How could you, how could you like, what is wrong with you? You are the English teacher. And during Black History Month of all months, during the school year, you don't even know who wrote that poem. You didn't even take the liberty to inform yourself and open a program to see. At, at that moment, I realized that white people, when it comes down to the black arts and black creativity, they don't they don't give a fuck about us and, and our ways of expression. As, as long as it doesn't well, let me say it this way. They care about it only if it entertains them. When it doesn't entertain them or confuses them or makes them uncomfortable, they dismiss us and they discuss, and they talk about us and they belittle us. I felt very small in that moment with my teacher because I felt small as a student who just worked really, really, really hard to present something in a way that it came off authentic, but also, you know, came off with some conviction because still I rise. I mean, read the poem. 
you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you know the poem, you already know what I mean. And to have her minimize my moment in that moment for the school, honestly, it hurt me. And then to go home and hear what I heard about those guys, I was kind of like, damn, that's a double whammy. So I'm starting to experience for the first time in my life at that time in high school, how white people valued us. And I know I mentioned already, but our expression, I realized like, okay, there's a certain level in which it's like palatable for them with us. And I can only, and I should only um, behave in ways that will make me seem, appear to be more valuable. Having reflected back on those moments, I have a couple takeaways from the first one as a kid being basically told you're ugly and sit your ass down. I realized that it's going, there's going to be people who look just like you who are going to try to devalue you. And, and it's going to happen. And as much as we like to think that, I know I talk about, I emphasize white people a lot in this episode because, you know, they're the biggest culprits, right? And you're the, and they're the majority. But I also recognize that there are black people who are on the same wavelength or adjacent to it <laughs> enough that they will really have you out here questioning yourself questioning your worth, questioning your value when you shouldn't even be concerned about that. Your your value should already just be well-received from everyone. It should be understood because the value of Black lives, to be very honest with you and to, and to anyone who cares to listen to hear it, it, there's no, like, it's invaluable. Like, there's no measurement on our lives. Our lives are invaluable and they're invaluable for so many reasons, but I I will say the main ones is because throughout it all, from the first ship that brought our ancestors to this fucking country, one thing black people have done is survive. And some of us survive broken. Some of us don't survive whole. But we survive. And then with every generation that comes, we we survive through them, but also make improvements. That's why we always talk about breaking the cycle. It's important. And so for me, just because that happened to me doesn't mean that I'm going to literally sit, here, sit over here and do that to another Black child and make them feel any less valuable than what they may already feel for themselves. With regards to the high school incident, what I'm taking away from that, two things, because two things happened that day. So let me start with what in the order that I found out. So for my teacher at the time, I realized that we can be at, being at predominantly white schools, whether they are elementary, middle school, high school, college, whatever. And this is why we say Black history should be taught throughout the entire school year. Because if Black authors, Black literary literary genius, geniuses um, in both fiction and nonfiction, poets, uh, actual painters, actual architects, folks who 
if we were incorporated in a part of the story and, and built into the curriculum and, and even a step further, if the teachers, the folks who are being taught, who are going to college, when you're in college, what are, what are you learning in college? Right. This is why folks need to be more well-rounded when you're in college and you're trying to find out where you're going to go. Because teaching, it ain't for the, it's not for the faint of heart, especially when you're going to go into a community as a, a person who's not of color and into a, computer, a community that's about, you know, well mixed. You're definitely going to have more than two or three black kids in your class. Like a good amount of them are going to be black and Latino. So what have you done to prepare yourself for your students? Or are you keeping yourself at the same pace in the same page that you've been on? Because that's just what you need to know. And so I realized from that moment is ignorance is bliss. It is. And even in their old age, even with all the life that they have lived, they can still make it to old, an old age and still be ignorant. And I was just like, that can't be me. I can't make it to that age and be that ignorant. I I just can't. With regards to the guys, they sort of prepared me for the ignorant, a lot of the ignorant white people that I had had ended up coming across through first jobs, uh, just in my career today, I come across what I personally feel are racist white individuals on a regular basis. And have like I said before, I, black people tend to live and exist in a state of trauma at times because we are traumatized from so many different things that I don't even let most of it phase me anymore. It's just literally become a way of life for me that knowing and, and having to carry around this fact that people do not like you, will not see it for you, will not value you, will do everything in their power to do quite the opposite just because of the color of your skin. Nothing more and nothing less. I want to talk and touch on the Botham John case, especially because it's unraveling Right now, knowing knowing that even when we are minding our black ass business in our homes, not interfering with your way of life and vice versa, that we can still be murdered, shot down like fucking animals. Um and get be, be given zero regard for life and there's there's no value in that life once he hit the, he, there was no value in him and he was standing on his 10 toes and there's no value on him as he f- lied there dying in his own home probably thinking what the fuck is happening right now and so what what angers me most about this situation is that while I, if I even wanted to entertain, if I want to entertain the idea that this was literally a mistake and she really thought somebody was breaking into her home, 
because she wasn't paying attention because she was too busy uh, sexting and she didn't even think for a second to take a step back out and look. If I want to just believe for a moment that she really reacted in that way of like, she truly thought she was home and she just reacted, my head still is like, but still you, you shot to kill the, that, like, at what point in time did you realize you, you maybe could be able to shoot him in the leg or shoot this person in the leg and just arm this person and maybe value that person's life? But when the person on the opposite end of the barrel is a person of color, specifically a black man or a black woman or black trans woman or man, as long as that person is black, there is no regard for our lives. Our lives to them are not valuable. We are to be wasted and tossed to the side. They don't give a fuck about us. And I think for some people, I, I would say for myself, it was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around that because I truly wanted to believe the best in people. Even when I have been talked down to so many times, once folks, especially over the phone, once folks realize that I'm black and they can pick up on my tone of voice and, and the way in which I say things, it's like, okay, she's black. And then and then switch how they speak to me and then talk to me in demeaning tones, then think they, then yell at me or curse at me. And they truly showed their value to me within a few minutes. It happens every day. So I'm thinking to myself, there's no value when we go to work. There's no value when we try to go and mind our black ass business and shop somewhere and or have our kids try to sell some damn lemonade on the corner without having to be harassed and having our kids arrested at schools. I heard a story about our kid about this officer arrested two kids. I believe a six and an eight-year-old, and like really brought them down to juvie. Because the kick, I think, kicked the teacher or whatever. Like, are you kidding me? There's no regard for our life and value for our life for a lot of people out here for us, a lot of white people out here for us, the majority of them for us. And the reason why I say it's the majority of them, because if it wasn't, I mean, it's simple math, right? If the majority of white people were really on our side, the way they claim they are, and are the allies that they say they are, we wouldn't even be in this predicament anymore. We're in this position because we're not valuable. And in order for us in our lives and our needs and our issues to be to be considered whatsoever, we have to prove our value to them in any area of our lives. So I think to myself of like, to be able, the, the audacity and air you must carry with you to feel so comfortable, so confident in knowing that you can literally kill a person of color. You can literally kill a black man. You can literally kill a black woman, a black child. You can literally kill a member of our community and walk away knowing that either you're A, the worst that will happen to you is that you might lose your job because the department will say it doesn't look good, but you'll never serve time. Yeah, you're, you may never be able to work in that community again or in that in that fashion, but if you live in a community that's predominantly white, 
I mean, the motherfuckers are probably cheering you the fuck on and and throwing a parade for you. We've seen, we've seen and heard of instances where officers have lost their jobs after shootings, um, and GoFundMe accounts have been raised for them. That's where they place value in protecting their own and rallying around their own. So when Joshua Brown, the neighbor of both of them, decided, I'm going to rally around my own too. It didn't even want to testify. Who really wants... What black person living in Texas who's a witness to a murder that involves an officer from the Dallas PD or any police department in Texas for that motherfucking matter. What person really wants to testify? Like, like really, like think who would really willingly want to testify without and not have to second guess it. I mean, I would have second guessed that shit for a minute before I had agreed to it because literally what that young man did was make himself a target. Okay? I've s I have i do not know if I've said it earlier. If I did, cool, I'm saying it again. The biggest gang, and if I did, my bad. The biggest gang out here in America aren't these bloods, these crips, and all these other organizations. It's the police. If they wanted to, they can annihilate all of us. If the government really chose to. And so I always have a hard time. I have a really, really hard time why folks can't catch on to the fact that our government is so corrupt and they're so twisted that they are literally spinning and mastering and creating stories for us to buy into, to say, and and especially they make it easy for the racists and even harder for us. Because after giving this testimony, Joshua Brown was murdered outside of the same, very same apartment complex that he still lived in, that both of them once lived in. And you mean to sit here and tell me both of those black men die in the same building, nearly a year apart from, like about a year and some change apart from one another. And in the beginning, we all thought and all knew and all feel that the Dallas PD has something to do with this. I mean, across the board, I think most black folks feel that way. Um, And the others that are confused about themselves don't. So, and I'll be confused in a bad way. Please don't take it out of context. Um, they, that's just for us. I, I personally feel like Dallas PD definitely has something to do with it. But the story that, and it is mainly because of the story. It's mainly because of the story that came out of that man's mouth. They are spinning the story that Joshua was a major drug dealer, okay, and was was doing a drug deal, and it was a drug deal gone bad. They're saying that three niggas drove from Louisiana, hours from Louisiana, to where he is, to cross state lines, to set, to pick up a couple pounds of weed. Like I, I'm not in that lifestyle, so, but but I would like to think. There got to be somebody closer that can get that to you, right? You're not about to take a whole day just to get that amount. Is that even a lot? I don't even think that's a lot. And then you mean to tell me that they got in this altercation 
And you're telling me Joshua shot one of those men? And that man retaliated? When I tell you, when I read, because I was at first, I was like, okay, I want to see what the update was on, on Joshua's, on the suspects, suspects that they may find. When I saw that the thumbnail for the video was black men in the background on the screen, I just rolled my eyes so hard. And I said, let's hear this shit. And then when I heard the, I mean, theatrical story and like, when I heard, when I heard the story they claimed, one of the the guys who, who drove up from Louisiana, what his story was. And I mean, it sounded like homeboy sang like a fucking canary. And in, and in this, in this era of Takashi 69s, um, snitches get stitches era. Like I can't really understand as we all make jokes about it. Like I can't understand how someone really is going to go out here and do the same thing. Like if you, if they are really in this game like that, and they're, and they're telling, like, wouldn't the person that they were, I don't know, copping for, maybe they're copping for themselves. I have no idea. But won't that look funny on you as a person who lives that lifestyle that you're, that you're telling? Like, in, I mean, in, in Takashi-level detail, it's kind of, that's not weird to nobody. That don't sound a little off to anybody. Like... I don't think I need to know every single detail to feel when something's off with some, with the case. To feel like a story is just too goddamn theatrical and too well put together to be true. And so to this to the entire situation to this entire case, I say a big fuck you to the system, to Dallas PD, and to to anybody who can't wrap their heads around what is happening right now. And what has been happening to us and what will continue to happen to us for years to come. All I can really do is pray that it never meets me or my family or my friend's family and their extended, whomever. Pray, just cover as many people with my prayers as possible. Because to, to experience something like this on this level, it's like, I don't... It's tough. And that's why I say it's scary to speak out. It's scary to put yourself out there and advocate and try to fight for what's right. Okay? Joshua didn't want to testify, but he did it anyway. He did it because he thought he was going to help. And then only to say that a week later he died in a drug deal going bad. I, I have another question too. I'm upset. I'm sorry. Let me calm down. Like, how did they not know that he was a drug dealer when they had him as a witness? Like, that is, like, you would have gotten that monster Amber off immediately. You mean to sit here and tell me, y'all let this man testify, okay? Be cross-examined, and you didn't know he was a major drug dealer? They're saying he had like 140-something THC cartridges in his house, $4,000 and XXX amount of like pounds of weed. And I'm just like, y'all didn't know that when y'all interviewed him? I'm sure y'all popped in his house before. Like, y'all didn't know none of this about him. Y'all don't do your research. 
He didn't pop up in your like who's who of criminals or drug dealers in that area. Like y'all really want us and, and really think that we're all stupid and dumb. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I am. Maybe, maybe it's true, but I'm gonna tell you one thing I'm not gonna do. I'm I'm not, I won't, I won't go with that thought, school of thought first. Not when it comes to our people, not when it comes to the history of our people, when it comes down to law enforcement. I'm not doing it. And here's to praying for yet another day or a day of peace and equality and the erasure of murders, legal murders by our police departments in our country. On to the song for this week and for this episode. It is a song called Mad by Solange featuring Lil Wayne. If you haven't heard Solange's A Seat at the Table, it came out in 2016. You're missing out. You should have been heard it by now. The song Mad is super dope. It literally gives us permission to feel our feelings and to be upset about what we've gone through, the things that we've seen. There's a line that she had put in there, a couple of lines she put in there, and one of them said she ran into this girl asking, why you always blaming? Why you can't just face it? Why you always got to be so mad? And she literally goes, Solange literally goes into saying like, be mad. We have the right to be upset. We have the right to want change and demand change and demand better for ourselves, for our parents, and more importantly, for our children. We deserve to feel whatever it is we need to feel about this society and this world and the people in it, the people who make it up and make all the rules and make it hard for us to get by. So I encourage you to be mad. Be big mad, be little mad about the shit that's going on because I'm telling you right now, I'm furious. So take that at face value and come back and join me next week. Bye, y'all.